Have you ever felt like the situation was hopeless? Or, or perhaps have you ever felt hopeless? You're not alone. A lot of other people feel hopeless. Statement that is fairly familiar from Abraham Lincoln. This was something he struggled with all of his life in 1841. He said, I am now the most miserable man living. I don't know how he knew that, but that's what he said. If, if what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Sounds like he was down, wasn't he? <laughs> Hopelessness is not something that is uncommon in this world. Tragically, the feelings of hopelessness have increased over time. In the last 20 years or so, suicide rates have gone up by over 30%, and particularly in the younger generation, they've gone up by over 50%. But God is not a God of hopelessness. In fact, the Bible calls God a God of hope. And I want to study a book today that takes this hopeless situation and turns it into promise. We're going to look from the book of Ruth how God turns tragedy into triumph. Tragedy to triumph. Beginning in Ruth chapter 1, when we look at the first five verses of the book of Ruth, things are going about as bad as they possibly can for Naomi. There's a famine in the land. And so what does that mean? It means that obviously everybody is suffering, but they seem to be suffering more. And as they're suffering more, they end up selling their land. Now, if you survive by farming and you sell your land, what does that mean? You have no way to make additional income. I remember reading about uh, experiences in the of farmers in Ethiopia, what they went through in the 80s and the terrible famine there. And they shared, and it was a very painful thing for them still, as they shared, they had to make a choice between planting their seed and eating their seed. Now that's a hard choice because if you don't eat your seed and you're starving, you and your family could die. But if you don't plant your seed, what are you going to have afterward? Nothing. That's a really bad choice, isn't it? That's a hopeless situation. And Naomi and her family were in this hopeless situation and they had sold their land and probably they had spent all the money that they had gained from the sell of their land and now they have no way to provide for themselves and thus they go and leave their home and go to the land of Moab. Now to get to the land of Moab from Bethlehem, you would have to go around the Dead Sea because the land of Moab is on the other side, the east side of the Dead Sea. 
And so they traveled there, hoping to find relief. And her life seems to be a series of tragedies. Because after selling their land, after having no food, and now leaving their family and their home, and going to a land of their enemies, her husband dies. But that isn't the end of her sorrow. First one son dies. And then her second son dies as well. She's lost her inheritance, her family home, her husband, her sons. Naomi has lost everything except her daughter-in-law. And that is who the book of Ruth focuses on. It doesn't focus on Naomi, which there's interesting interplay with Naomi through the book. But the focus is on Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth is one of two books in the Bible that focuses almost exclusively upon a woman, upon a young lady. And both of these young ladies are remarkable. Naomi determines there's nothing else to do. She might as well go back to Bethlehem. Sometimes when we know of nothing else we can do, then we decide to ask God to help. That's not the right order. But unfortunately, it's the order that happens many times. Now, for Naomi, as she enters back into Bethlehem, There's great excitement as they've been gone for it seems like 10 years or something of that nature. And there's great excitement as Naomi has returned. But as she enters Bethlehem, she says, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Why did she change her name there? Naomi means pleasant. And Naomi was feeling anything but pleasant. She had gone out with a husband and two sons and hope for a better life and had come back with an empty pocket, with an empty family, and with an empty heart. 
And Mara means bitter. Naomi had gone through terrible trial. But tragically, the trials, instead of turning Naomi closer to God, had made her bitter. Trials can lead us to bitterness. And the trials had led Naomi to bitterness. And she expressed it to her friends and her family, whatever family was there in Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. But Naomi was not alone. Who else was with Naomi? Ruth. And while Naomi's trials had turned her to bitterness, she did not reject her faith in God. She still believed in God. But her bitterness was affecting her. But along with Naomi was Ruth. And Ruth endured the same trials as Naomi, but Ruth's experience was totally different. Naomi lost her husband. Ruth lost her husband. Naomi had lost all earthly support. Ruth had lost all earthly support. Naomi had the benefits of the heritage of faith. Ruth had grown up in a heathen land. And notice what Ruth's response was in these grand words of Scripture in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Naomi has asked Ruth to leave and to go back four times. Naomi does not believe that there is anything good in her life anymore, and she would rather that Ruth try to make a life on her own. But the fourth time, Ruth responds with such conviction that Naomi gives up trying to send her back to her own land and her own gods. Ruth says in verse 16, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back 
from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Now, this is a fascinating statement. It is one thing for someone to accept the God of heaven under blessings. It is a completely different thing for someone to accept the God of heaven under tragedy and trial. Ruth could have said, and imagine, Ruth comes from the idol-worshipping Moabites, and she marries this Israelite young man. And her father-in-law dies. And her brother-in-law dies. And her husband dies. And things are not getting better, but worse. It would have been very easy for her to say, why should I follow your God? Look at what he does to you. But that's not what Ruth said. Ruth saw something different. Ruth saw something that she wanted. And Ruth, as Naomi asks her to leave again and again, Ruth says, I will not leave. I am going with you. Wherever you go, your people will be my people. My God will be your God will be my God. The trials of life led Naomi to bitterness, while the trials of life led Ruth to a deeper trust in the God of heaven. Maybe that's why the book is called Ruth instead of Naomi. <laughs> Naomi's faith does recover. But in chapter 1, her faith is at a low point. But we can relate to that, can't we? Do we ever feel like our faith is low? Do we ever feel like our trials have driven us further from God instead of closer to God? The solution comes in the book of Ruth as well. Chapter 2 of Ruth. They're now back in Bethlehem. And as they're back in Bethlehem, they have no money, no food. And Ruth says, Let me go out into the fields and glean. Now, what does that mean? If you're gleaning in the fields, what are you doing? You are kind of harvesting. <laughs> you are picking up 
the leftovers. There's not a lot of gleaning that goes on today. Sometimes cows are sent into a pasture or to a field that has already been harvested and they see what they can find that's left. That's about the most of gleaning that takes place. As they would harvest the field, and this was the barley harvest, and as they would harvest the field, they were not to harvest, you know, just the very edges where the weeds are and all of that. And uh, as they would harvest, there would be some of the grain that would fall to the ground. Maybe even there would be some stalks that would fall to the ground here and there. And those that would glean would go and would pick up the grain that had fallen to the ground. Now, how big is a kernel of barley or of wheat? Very small. Very small. You're not picking up drop apples here. <laughs> you're, you're gathering these little pieces of grain. But for those that had no land and no money, it would hopefully provide enough for them to at least eat that day and maybe to make it a little bit further. And so Ruth goes to the field. But what she finds is not a typical gleaning experience. Boaz comes to the field says, who is this lady? I don't recognize her. And the workers tell her that's the young Moabite who came back with Naomi from Moab. Now, I should have mentioned it before, but that was a very derisive comment. I mean, it was factual, but it would stir up ill feelings. Why? Because she was a Moabite from the land of Moab. The Moabites were the ones who, not that long before, had hired Balaam to come and to curse Israel. The Moabites were the ones that had seduced Israel into sin just before they had entered the promised land. The Moabites had caused a large amount of headache and suffering for the children of Israel. And God had said, you can read it in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 and 4, God had said that a Moabite was not to come into the congregation of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. The Moabites and Ammonites were permanently excluded from worshiping in the temple of the Lord and they were not to be enrolled among the children of Israel ever. And so in that situation where Ruth is an outcast, excluded from the congregation of the Lord, she still says to Naomi, your God will be my God. 
even if you don't allow me to worship at the temple, even if I cannot be recorded among the Israelites, your God will still be my God. And the workers say, this is that Moabite woman. Perhaps they were expecting Boaz to cleanse his field and to ask her to leave. But that's not what Boaz does. Verse 8 of Ruth 2. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Boab says, stay right here. Don't go away. I'll protect you. And if you're thirsty, working in the hot of the day, come and drink from my water. But that wasn't all. Verse 14. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat down, she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Boaz says, stay in my field. I'll make sure you're protected. If you're thirsty, come and drink my water. Oh, and by the way, we're having lunch. Come up and eat with us. Did Ruth deserve any of that? No. It was the goodness of Boaz that allowed her and gave her all of this. It was unmerited blessings that she was receiving. And not only that, but notice verse 16. He's speaking to his workers now, and he says, And also, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her, leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. What is he saying here? Don't make her pick up just those little tiny grains of wheat. Let some piles fall out for her. Purposely make sure that she gets extra grain. It says then that when she came home that evening, she had about an ephah of barley. How much is that? Yeah, ephah is a is a weight, a measurement of weight. So it's actually about uh, four four and a half gallons, about half a bushel. Significant amount. Boaz blesses Ruth. 
because she's in need of blessing. Now, the real point of the story now takes place. And I want to notice it in verse 20 of Ruth 2. Because from about verse 20 and onward, the main point of the book of Ruth is now going to be driven home. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. Now that's an interesting statement. Why does Naomi say that God has not uh, forsaken his kindness to the living or the dead? The living we can understand, right? They have food to eat now. They have extra food to eat now. They're being provided for. What did she mean that God had not forsaken his kindness to the dead? One of the worst things to happen if you were an Israelite was for your family name to go out. For you to lose your family property and for your family lineage to cease. We see that, for example, in the journey to the wilderness. A man comes to Moses and says, I only have five daughters. I don't have any sons. And they inquire of the Lord, and the Lord says, yes, your inheritance and your name should go through your five daughters. Now, was Elimelech, Naomi's husband, was his name going to continue in Israel the way it stood right now? No. Not only had he lost his land, but he had lost the lineage that he was to have. But Naomi sees that that's about ready to change. Then notice... How she continues. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Now that's an interesting statement. It sounds like she's saying the same thing twice. This man is related to us. He's one of our close relatives. But there's something we miss here, and this is the key point in the book of Ruth. Does anybody have a marginal reading there for our close relative or a different version? Chapter 2, verse 20, the last, last words there. Our close relatives. No, not, not the reference, but what a more... Li- Redeemer. What she's saying here is, this man is a relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. It's a very interesting word. It's used about a hundred times in the Old Testament. Twenty-one of those times, this word redeemer is used in the book of Ruth. It is the When you look in the book of Ruth, there are 
There's one word that's used more. I think it's he says. So says. There's a lot of dialogue going on back and forth. But other than that, the next closest word and the most unique word that is used is redeemer. Naomi realizes that this man is one of our relatives. This man is one of our redeemers. Now, what was she talking about? There was a double custom. Well, there were two different customs, two different uh, ways that the families worked, and it worked in, in ancient Israel at this time. If you had sold your land, it was not sold forever. Everything, it's amazing how it worked, everything reset every 50 years. It would keep there from being any big multi-trillionaires and whatever else. It would reset every 50 years and everybody would have a more, go back to a more level playing field. And, but before then, if you had sold your land, one of your relatives, it had to be your closest relative, could purchase the land back for you and it would be back into your family heritage again. But not only that, there was the custom of Leveret marriages, and that was if your brother died and was married and had no children, then the your brother could marry the wife, or the, the brother of the man that had died could marry his wife, and the first child would be the brother's seed, the brother's uh, descendant, and then any children after that would be the man that married. And Naomi realizes this man is one of our redeemers. He can set us free. He can turn the tide of the tragedies that we've been facing. And so she waits about two months. And Ruth keeps going to the field, and if she's bringing back an ephah of grain every day, she's got a lot of grain now. <laughs> and then Naomi says, Ruth, there's something that you need to do. Go to the field. And lay down at his feet as a representation that you are asking him to take care and to restore you. And so Ruth does that. And we find in verse 9 of Ruth 3, he turns over at midnight, says there's a woman lying at his feet. Then he says, and he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, the Moabitess. Is that what she says? I am Ruth, your maidservant. Ruth is no longer identifying as a Moabitess. Ruth is now identifying as a connection to Boaz, and she says, I am now your maidservant. 
Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative, or the word again is, you are a redeemer. Now that's a very interesting marriage proposal, isn't it? (laughs) But notice what Ruth says. She says, I now want to be connected to you. I'm totally leaving Moab behind. I've already left the gods. Already your God is my God. But now you are my redeemer. Take me under your wing. And notice what Boaz says in verse 10. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or or rich. Is Boaz happy about this? Boaz could not redeem Ruth without Ruth asking for redemption. Now, Boaz appears to be, we know from the story as it continues, that he's not the closest relative. There's one more in between him and Ruth and being the closest. But notice what Boaz says. You could have gone and married anybody. But you chose to be redeemed by me and the family lineage of Elimelech could continue through you. Now, there is something interesting I mentioned, and I don't think I talked about it before, but I mentioned this redeemer. This word redeem is used multiple times. One is redeeming property, used redeeming property, uh, house, land. It is redeeming also. It always seems to be something very sacred that is redeemed. Another usage of the redeemed is if somebody has dedicated a house to the Lord, they could redeem it. Another usage of this word for redeem is if someone had not paid their tithe faithfully, they could redeem it by adding a fifth or a two what their tithe, and that would redeem the tithe that they had owed. There's also another very interesting usage, though, And it's not translated redeem. It's translated avenger. Now, what does redemption have to do with avenging? It doesn't sound compatible, does it? But when you look at it, it was the avenger of blood. If there was someone that had been killed, then the family members had a right to avenge, redeem the blood of of their relative. We might say today that the family members would prosecute and try to see that justice was done. But avenge of the blood. It was redeeming, not only if somebody had lost something, but it was redemptive in the sense of justice as well. Very fascinating. But what does all this mean? Let's back up from the story that we just looked at. The story of Ruth reveals a journey from tragedy 
to triumph. And our Redeemer wants to turn our story into a story from tragedy to triumph. Do we need redemption today? Even if we don't feel like our life is falling apart right now, we still need redemption, don't we? When we look at the story of Ruth, we see that they were running from their Redeemer, trying to solve their problems their own way. Have you ever tried that before? They went to Moab and things just got worse. Many times we try to solve our problems in our way and we don't realize that there is a Redeemer who wants to set us free. And God did the impossible for Ruth. Naomi realized her emptiness. Ruth realized their emptiness as well. But when we realize we're broken is when God can heal us. Too many times we do not experience the redemption that God wants to give us because we do not realize our brokenness. We can look good on the outside. We can look good sitting in church, but we can be broken. We are broken. All of us are broken in some way, shape, or form. God needs us to come to the point that the that Paul came to in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, where he says, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? He recognized there was no redemption, there was no deliverance on his own, and then it was that God could step in. Now I want to notice something else. When Ruth was gleaning in the field of Boaz, was Ruth earning the blessings that Boaz was giving to her. Was she earning the right to be able to eat from his table? Was she earning the right to get extra that they were dropping? She wasn't earning anything. She was just, yeah, she was there cooperating, she was picking up, but she wasn't earning anything. It was the unmerited favor of Boaz that was being a blessing to her. What's another word for unmerited favor? Grace. Grace. Do you know we cannot come to God? God must come to us. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says that Christ died for us as sinners, enemies. We cannot take the first step toward God. 
He's drawing us. We're incapable, we're empty, we're broken, we're hopeless, we're like Ruth the Moabitess that is shut out from the congregation of God. Paul says we're aliens and strangers from the commonwealth of Israel. John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he what? First loved us. It was Boaz showing love, grace, unmerited favor, undeserved blessings to Ruth that awakened in Ruth a desire for redemption. Ruth did nothing but behold the grace, the favor of her Redeemer. You know, that's all we can do. We cannot earn redemption. It doesn't matter what we do. We are hopelessly fall short. We are broken. We are empty. We are cut off. But we can behold. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. We can behold His love. We can recognize what Jesus has done for us. Our minds can be lost in His love. It's our only hope and our only support. There's a statement in Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 395. It says, The believer is not called upon to make his peace with God. He never has nor ever can do this. He is to accept Christ as his peace. For with Christ is God and peace. The believer is not called upon to make his peace with God. We cannot do that and never can. But we can accept Christ. And that's what Ruth did. She said, you are my redeemer. I will choose you as my redeemer. We respond to the grace of our Redeemer just as Ruth responded to the blessings of Boab, Boaz. And what was Boaz's response, you remember? Boaz's response was, you've shown me more kindness because you haven't followed anybody else. It is Christ's longing desire for us to recognize our emptiness and his fullness to recognize that he alone can redeem us from the hopeless situation that we are in chapter 4 then focuses of Ruth on the promise the fact that Ruth had a redeemer but how was Boaz her redeemer I'm not talking about taking off the shoe and all of that, if you read that. It's an interesting custom. Instead of shaking hands to seal a deal, they would exchange shoes to seal a deal. You're probably glad that we shake hands today instead of exchange shoes. But what was it that enabled Boaz to redeem Ruth? She asked him to. And one other thing. 
He was her next of kin. He was closer to her than anybody else that was willing or able to perform that right. Jesus is our Redeemer because He has become next of kin to us. What does that mean? He was made like his brethren. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. In order for Ruth to rede- in order for Boaz to redeem Ruth, he had to buy back the land that they had sold. They had sold it for money. He had to pay that money to get it back. Because we have been lost through sin, what is our, what have we lost? We have lost the life of God. In order for Jesus to redeem us, he had to pay back the, with his life. But he also had to become one with us. He had to become our brother. He had to become next of kin to us. He had to become like us in order to save us and redeem us. Boaz, by right, was the next of kin. Jesus chose to become the next of kin to us. The infinite love and grace of our Redeemer is unimaginable. Like Ruth and Naomi... Does your life sometimes seem like a series of tragedies? Tragedies in your family, tragedies in your finances, tragedies in your spiritual walk. The book of Ruth reveals a redeemer that turned tragedy into triumph. And the book of Ruth reveals a Redeemer for us today who wants to turn our life of tragedies into a life of triumph. Ruth experienced the impossible. She was a young, widowed outcast. She had no hope But she responded to the love of her Redeemer. And as she responded to the love of her Redeemer, what did he do? Ruth became the great-grandmother of King David. Someone that was should not have been allowed into the sanctuary, someone that should not have had their name registered among the Israelites, became the great-grandmother to King David and in the lineage of the Messiah himself. Her tragedy proved to be an ultimate triumph. God did the impossible for Ruth, and Jesus wants to do the impossible in your life as well. He wants to be your Redeemer. He wants to turn your life around. He wants to be your next of kin. If you have your bulletin, I want to turn to the thought for the day. I want to end with this thought. It's found in Desire of Ages, page 327. 
We won't read the whole paragraph. Just about in the middle, right after the Bible references. It says, So the work of redeeming us and our inheritance, lost through sin, fell upon him who is near of kin unto us. It was to redeem us that he became our kinsman, closer than father, mother, brother, friend, or lover is the Lord, our Savior. Jesus wants to be your next of kin. He wants to be the closest of kin to you. He wants to be nearer to you than father or mother, brother, friend, or lover. Boaz became the next of kin to Ruth to redeem her. And Jesus wants us to cling to him, to draw close to him, that he can be our next of kin to us that he can be our redeemer as well. Do you want to behold his grace and his love? Do you want him to be your next of kin? Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we're grateful that in the book of Ruth we see an amazing story of the love that you have for us and of the redemption and the possibilities that you offer to each of us. And Lord, we desire to be your next of kin. We desire to be closer to you than anyone or anything else in this world. May we have that experience so that you can be our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.